Welcome. You're listening to Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda, the podcast that pulls back the curtains in your mind. We like to shed a little light on why you're thinking what you're thinking. Everyone has a choice in life, in what and how they think. Together, we're going to focus on high-functioning habits. There is no more time to live with any sort of regret. Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda, the inspirational podcast for the inspired. Let's get into today's show with your host, Shelley R. Shearer. Hello world, Shelley Rose Shearer here and welcome to the show. Today I have a very special Canadian guest on the show. Sean Tyler Foley has been acting in film and television since he was six years old after his father passed away suddenly in a motor vehicle accident. He is an accomplished film and stage performer and has appeared in productions including Freddy vs. Jason, Door to Door, Carrie, and the musical Ragtime. Tyler is passionate about helping others confidently take the stage and impact an audience with their stories. He is currently the managing director of Total Buy-In and author of the number one best-selling book, The Power to Speak Naked. Tyler is no stranger to tragedy. From the death of his father, a mini stroke at 17 that paralyzed the left side of his body for over a year, the collapse of his first business when his business partner passed away without the correct director's insurance in place, or the loss of his family's dream home during the economic downturn in 2015. Through it all, he is happily married with a brilliant five-year-old daughter and is further ahead financially today than he has ever been before. Tyler, welcome to the show. Oh, it is my absolute joy and pleasure to be here. Can I tell you, I've been a big fan. I've been looking forward to being on it. I absolutely love the episode you did with uh, Johan Versteeg. As, as a father, uh, listening to the advice that he had, just I was like, yes, and I was cooked. And so I've been, I've Thank had this you. circled on my calendar for weeks and I'm just excited. He was fantastic. I encouraged just anybody with children through all my social media and even my friends and families, you must, you need to watch that show on Netflix and you need to listen to this podcast. <laughs> he was, he's just so down to earth and, you know, just simple. But I, I so think that's comprehensive in what, what yeah, and what the results yeah. are if you're not paying attention. You know, we don't give our kids a car without teaching them how to drive, but we hand them a cell phone at, at 11 years of age and said, welcome to the internet. And, and as you and I were discussing off of the show, I mean, my daughter's five years old and now she, it is slightly controlled. Like we have parental controls yes. on it, but you know, there's days where I come down and she's managed to surf her way onto something weird on YouTube. And I go, how did you get there? <laughs> and then I get curious. Right. Show me I how know. you got there. So that afterwards, daddy can put a stop to it. Exactly. But I, I love the episode. And I was, I was, I was just joyful to know that I was getting to come on and share. Excellent. Well, thank you. It's just, it's a pleasure to have you. You have a very interesting career. We talked, like you said, off, sta- off, off camera that we have a common friend from the stunt world. I've known Beverly for years and years. Plus I have another girlfriend, Sharka, that works in, um, uh, she did set production for a while, but she mainly has been working for almost a decade as an extra. And so it's sort of a, you know, Vancouver has a huge film industry here, of course, and probably most people at some point, you're going to find someone that's in it. The stories are funny. The industry is interesting. And, uh, you know, at the same, same time, everyone puts their pants on one leg at a time. So <laughs> everyone has to carry on. So you took that and you went other places with it. Being, you know, having that background and with the acting and the stunts and such, you went into public speaking. 
Well, and it was it was a weird way to get into the industry too. So um, as you had mentioned, I've been doing this. I've been performing since I was six years old. And by the time I'd reached 25, that's a long career. And I actually retired and then went back to school and started a couple of businesses. And I ended up in safety of all things. Ironically, I found that doing the stunt work, like when we were working with mm -hmm. Bev, uh, and specifically one of the stunts that I did do with Bev, I did a 60 foot high fall into uh, boxes uh, working Ooh. with Bev one time. And that is actually the safest job that I've ever had. And so when I got into being a safety consultant, I used to, to run around in the morning at the, what they call the toolbox talk or the tailgate meeting, which is just a kickoff for the day. And you kind of right. tell people what's going on and keep them safe or try to. <laughs> and uh, I would say, guys, what you're doing is unsafe. And they'd be like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. And it's true because I'm not a construction laborer by any chance. Mm -hmm. I don't really have any skilled trades, but I'd be like, listen to me. I used to jump out of windows for a living. And I promise you that was safer than what you're doing right now, 18 feet up on a ladder, not tied off. Like, trust me when I tell you yeah. this and I would go in and I would explain it to them because yelling is a little bit of a higher <laughs> exaggeration of what actually occurred. And I would say, listen, you know, this is, this is all the things that went into me doing this one stunt that you, that maybe takes up three seconds of celluloid. Mm -hmm. And yet, months of planning went into it weeks of training and an entire week of setup just to do this one thing once mm -hmm. safely and yet you guys are willy-nilly running up and down ladders and not even thinking about it i said i jumped out of a six-story window and i wouldn't do what you're doing right now so when you did and this consulting work, it, it wasn't in the movie industry. You went into mainstream. Yeah, this was okay. this was safety consulting primarily in uh, large construction projects. Okay. Uh, so working uh, trades, doing commercial work. That was kind of like my signature speech. And what's funny is I would work on some of these larger projects and a couple of executives heard me saying this one day. And they pulled me aside afterwards and said, listen, Tyler, that's a fascinating story. Can you tell me a little bit more about it? So I went into it because everybody was always curious. I was a bit of an oddity on any construction site, right? I'm, I'm 5'8", 140 pounds soaking wet. I, uh, I am not built for labor, but I'm exuberant and I didn't let, you know, I've worked around very masculine men for most of my life. Mm -hmm. And, and that, so I'm not intimidated in any way. I'm just not their size. Right. And so I would go toe to toe with some of these guys and have some of the tough conversations. And so this executive asked me and he said, you know, would you give that as a keynote? And I said, absolutely. And then I had to run off and Google what a keynote presentation actually was. Cause I didn't know, but I, I'm <laughs> That's excellent. to just say yes, <laughs> of course. <laughs> well, and that was the funny thing too. So he actually reached out and he said, what, um, uh, he said, my, uh, if you can do that, my, um, my admin will be in touch with you. And then when I got the email from the admin, they were asking how much it would cost to come and be the keynote at their safety stand down. And I knew the company was a very large company. We didn't know how to charge that out. And I, I had emailed a couple of friends and they were like, I don't know. And I'd gotten these wildly diversive answers. So I was like, well, how much do I make in a month as a safety consultant, as a health and safety manager? And so I wrote down the number from my, from my check and I sent it off. Uh, to them and they agreed and as soon as I realized that I could make in a month 
what I was making in a month, I could make in a day. Well, I was hooked at that point. Mm. I was like, let's, let's sign this up. And so I actually use everything that I've learned in 35 years of being in performance and, and stage uh, to help me be a better presenter. But now more specifically, I help other people learn to take the stage more confidently, not necessarily be, you know, speak to auditoriums, but be mm-hmm. more comfortable in the boardroom. You know, that's a big part of most people in business. And they don't realize that even if you're just around 12 people in a boardroom table, if you can't present, you don't have people's attention. Yeah. At all. <laughs> they're on their devices. They're tuning out. They're not, you're, you're just not making the point. You're not telling the story that they're interested in hearing. So this has become, I've noticed this at least the last decade through my career of 28 years in finance, this has become a much bigger thing. And I'm, I love to see it because like you say, you don't need to be in an auditorium being Tony Robbins, but if you no. have a point to get across at any place in your career, or even in your personal life, you're a master of ceremonies of something, it just doesn't matter. You need to be able to tell a good story. Yes. And so you weren't tired of the, I guess I'll just use the kind of the Hollywood, the movie stuff with the, the acting and everything. You weren't so done with that, that when this turned into a speaking gig that you said, no, I really just, I don't want to be in front of a crowd anymore. It was a good thing for you. Well, and so one of the things that I actually missed being in film and television. So I remember I started in theater at six. I didn't actually get into film and television until a little bit later on in my life. Oh, okay. uh, my teens was when I really started to focus on film and TV. And then I did that up until about 25. One of the things that I missed the most was the interaction, was being with people, hearing applause. As a performer, right. you live for the applause. There's in <laughs> fact an entire song dedicated to I live for applause. And it's, it's just such a, a warm feeling that when you actually get it, you're addicted. The first time it happens, you're, it's, you know, it is the most addictive substance on the planet. I can imagine, yes. Hearing a standing ovation. Yeah. So it really, it really played into your personality then. It really did. And the nice thing about it was that I gave me a chance to step back and see my career as an actor for what it was. And it was an, an excellent opportunity for me at a very young age to explore a passion and, and be exposed to various different ways of thinking. But one of the things that I like the most about public speaking now is that I'm not locked to a script mm. and especially somebody else's words. I'm not trying to make someone else's vision come to life. I'm making my own experience uh, come to life, which is so much easier, so much more freeing. And, and in doing so, I'm teaching other people how to tell their stories, which is really where I get the most excitement out of it. So how do you tell your story or how do you fit that in, in an appropriate way? As you mm-hmm. said, it's hard to, when you're sitting around a board, uh, you know, the boardroom and you have to present, how do you make, the, how do you bring your personal story yeah. into, like, people would think you can't do that. This is the corporate world. I'm not allowed to you know, it's, it's separate my personal mm-hmm. life from my professional life. And I say, no, it's not exactly. You need to tie in why you are doing the thing that you're doing so that your audience, whoever they are, are invested in what you're doing. And if it's just last quarter's sales numbers, there's still a personal connection to you. There's a story behind why those, yes. 
numbers matter and why you're the one presenting them. So exactly. let's get into it and get your audience engaged. Oh, that's great. And I, like I said, I've seen it more and more in corporate uh, world now, and I'm thrilled about it. So in your opinion, because we, we talked about this just a little bit, but expand a little bit for the audience. What is the power of a story? Why is there power in a story? Because it connects us. Human beings for not just centuries, but eons have been communicating through story. You got to remember, like even 300 years ago, the world was not as literate as it is today. Right. And the only way that we had to communicate for the majority of the human experience has been through the oral tradition, through storytelling. Mm, of course. And the reason it's so powerful is because the right they say never judge a person until you've walked a mile in their shoes mm -hmm. well i can't come to you physically and actually walk in your shoes i could but you'd be like please take off my stilettos and i'll <laughs> say but they look so good on me and comfy but i can't i can't judge you but metaphorically if i if you tell me your story i can see the world through your eyes because now I hear what is important to you. And it, a story told well transports us into that environment or into that scenario so that now I understand your viewpoint. And that's the power of story is understanding. Mm. Okay. If I can understand your viewpoint, I don't have to agree with it, but at least I can understand it. Mm -hmm. I can sympathize with it or I can empathize with it. I can see the world through your viewpoint and we can start to have some consensus and i think really especially now uh, in this day and age mm -hmm. it's the thing that needs to be done we need to tell these stories more and you can see a lot of the movements that are happening are coming because people are coming out and saying this happened to me this is my story whether yeah. it's a story of triumph or whether it's a story of adversity, when we share them, we come together as a human species. I agree. I couldn't agree more. And I think we're now more than ever, I think, especially the younger generation has a little bit lost that ability to even communicate uh, and have that with a different opinion. And storytelling, like you say, it softens the experience to say, but I understand why, why you would have chosen that, why you did that, how you felt in that situation. And then, of course, like I do in my podcast, that in turn reaches other people because yes. they relate to it. Not everyone needs to. They'll still stay present in the presentation, but the people that can relate, it really touches them on another level, I think. So let's ask the obvious question that is just would be, especially with what you do. How do you get over stage fright? Because you know what they say, they, they, the, if you're going to do the eulogy at the uh, funeral, most people would rather be in the casket than behind the podium. Now, oh, I like yeah. you, not so much. I am a talker, but that is not the case with most people. So what, what advice or, or a story do you have about that? And what do you say to people? So first of all, th there's at least 77% of your audience listening right now that are going, yep, yeah, no, that's me. You, you, wouldn't, <laughs> you couldn't catch me dead behind the podium. I'd rather be in the casket, as you had said. And what I would tell those people is that I, I believe them when they say that they have stage fright, but I don't believe them when they say that they have a fear of public speaking. And so if you ask, 77% of people will confirm that they have a fear of public speaking. Okay. And I dispel that myth instantaneously with this one question. When was the last time? And I recognize that it may be a year or two ago, but when was the last time you were in a restaurant and ordered food? If you were able to order food 
in the restaurant, especially mm-hmm. if you didn't know the wait staff because they were a stranger, then not only were you speaking in public and asking for what you want and getting it, but you were definitely speaking to a stranger while you did that. So this myth that I'm afraid to speak to strangers in public is exactly that. Okay. It's a myth. It, it's a construction in our head. So we're not actually afraid of public speaking because if you actually think about it, we do it all the time. Mm-hmm. What we're afraid of is public judgment. And again, I go back to the restaurant. I think it's hilarious because we're so worried about what people think and yet we will order food. And trust you, me, as somebody who has been somebody taking your order, we as wait staff judge what you order. I'm taking your order going, <laughs> I wouldn't have gotten the chicken and waffles, but if that's what you want, that's coming up, right? And then I go to the back and the, the kitchen staff laugh at you too. We are all judging people all the time. It's just, it's, a, it's part of the human condition. We make snap assessments of the people around us. What we forget is that they're instantaneous and we're more so to further dispel this myth, if you think that your audience negatively you, right? Typically people are like, oh, well, what if I screw up? What if I forget the words? What if they don't like me? What if they don't like what I'm wearing? What if I don't have anything <laughs> to wear? What, what, what about my makeup? What about my hair? Do, will they even like my makeup and my hair? Have I even gotten new clothes in 18 months? What will I do? All of these <laughs> things are just stories inside of our heads that don't actually count. But that's what we do and, as humans. We make up these stories in our head and they become all the obstacles in our life. Exactly. And so what you have to realize, and, and again, if I want to dispel this, I can do it really quickly. When was the last time? I want you as the audience right now, you're listening to this on whatever device you're listening to. I'm speaking directly to you, you sitting there listening to the podcast. When was the last time you were at a presentation and just before the presenter came up, whether that was in a boardroom or in an auditorium or in some kind of theater, wherever you, while you were sitting there, Were you thinking to yourself, man, I hope this sucks. I hope this presenter bombs. It'd be really great if I don't get anything out of this presentation Um, and hope what they're wearing is a disaster. Says no one ever. That That was never a thing that was going through your head. At the very most, you were indifferent about your presence at that that event. But usually when we're going to these things, we are either paying to go or we're going because we have an active interest in the material that's being presented. Mm -hmm. The passing difference comes when it's the annual or weekly or monthly board meeting and we have to go. And that's when those devices start to sneak in. And our attention is not on the person. And it's the person's job then to get our attention. But that's Mm -hmm. their only job. My job as a presenter is just to keep you engaged through the material that I need to present. So the stories that we're telling are and they're printing us. And what it is, is a misdiagnosis. So for forever, the 77% of the world who's claiming to be afraid of public speaking, which we've already dispelled, is actually afraid of public judgment because they've been saying, I'm terrified of public speaking. They've been diagnosing themselves incorrectly and therefore they can't treat the cause or the, uh, the and they're not even addressing the symptoms. Oh, good It'd point. be like me misdiagnosing heartburn as a heart attack and reaching for defibrillators when what I really need is Pepto-Bismol. I'm doing more damage to myself by hitting myself with defibrillators over and over again, instead of just drinking some Pepto, getting rid of the heartburn and moving on to the stage and presenting the way that I need to. Is that sort of where you come into things? 
as a, as it, I would, I would assume you call yourself a coach in this particular area, public speaking coach. I know you've, your website shows a lot of stuff that you're doing and you've got your book we're going to talk about in a second, but is that what you do? Coach people um, that I want to do. do like maybe I, what I do or, or do keynote speakers or, you know, corporate presentations. Yeah, so I definitely train people on how to do it. I mentor and I do, I feel, um, step into a coach role. Mm-hmm. in some way, but I would never designate myself as a coach. Yeah. I know a lot of people have coaches and they, and, and it's a great industry. And I, I have coaches, I have invested in coaching. I think it's, it's valuable, but I look at myself more as a trainer and a mentor because I do have a, a background where I can teach. Right. And I have a background in that I have been there. So I'm not trying to coach a performance. I'm trying to guide you along to get to where I am. And mm. then in my practice, I also have the ability to then hand you off. If, you, if there's people who want to take this to the next level, I work with the people who are at the level above me and right. above that and above that. So I have the ability then once I want, there's the people who just want to get over and be more comfortable in the boardroom. Mm-hmm. And th- that's my wheelhouse. I really like working, particularly female-centric entrepreneurs or charity directors who have a really good social mission and just need to get their story out. Mm, yes, of course. That's where, I, that's where I find my most ignited passion because that's when I can take this one small skill that I have and actually have impact in the world. Because what I do is just look pretty and sound good. But if I can help <laughs> other people sound good and spread their message, now I'm having impact myself. So that's where my wheelhouse is. But every mm, once okay. in a while, I get to work with somebody who goes, no, I want to speak with Tony Robbins. And I go, okay, well, this is what we'll need to do. I will get you part of the way of the journey, but then I'm going to pass you off to these Sherpas who are going to help you get to the top of that mountain. And uh, I've got a great um, strategic alliance put in place that allows me to pass them on. But I, I don't coach. I, I, yep. My primary job is to train and to mentor where I can. Oh, I like that. Actually, I really, I think that's more approachable anyways. And I think you have something on your website uh, or something there that in somewhere in the write-up that says, yes, you will refer to the next level. I don't know why that is for me. Um, It's such a thing that I attach myself to and I find just so attractive because I guess probably part of it is my 28 years in finance where I came across people all the time that have that mentality of lack. So for them to refer was just like, oh, but I might lose business that not even when I was 27 years old and started my company, did that ever enter my mind. So by the time I was 30, I became the go-to person. My clients would come to me for anything, not just their books. Do you know someone that does this show? Yeah, I actually do. Let me pass you on to that (laughs) because I believe there's people do things better than I do. They do it differently than I do. And I believe there's enough for everyone. So it kind of ties into a lot of uh, limiting beliefs people have. And I just don't have those ones. I have other ones, but not those ones. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, and so I, that really I, oh, I stuck I out learned, for me when I read your bio. Well, and I, I learned that um, working with Bernie Dorman down at CEO Space, the late, great Bernie Dorman. Unfortunately, he graduated almost a year ago to a, a better place. And um, he, he talked about it all the time. You know, there's seven point whatever billion people in the world we live on a resource abundant 
planet. Mm -hmm. Not only that, but we as a species have figured out a way to uh, break the confines of this little blue marble that we live on. So there, there is only a lack of imagination. There is not a resource. And I know what I am good at. And the nice thing is, is if I was only able to help 0.0001% of the population, I would still have way more people than I could ever possibly fit on my calendar from now until the time. Yeah. So I, I'm not looking to solve the entire world's problems. I'm looking to help a select few people do the thing that they want to do and get to the point where they want to be. And if they want to get to somewhere further, great, because look at all these people who have helped me get to where I am. Yeah. Let's have you work with them. And they have people who mentor. And those are the of people course. that I want to surround myself with because, and that's been the secret too, even when I do networking. Like it's one of the things because like, I'm working with people who, who need to get their message out. And that's mm -hmm. usually one of the first places that they're asking. They're like, well, how do I perfect my elevator pitch? I'm like, it's real easy. Quit talking about you. <laughs> You're the and least important go, person in the conversation. <laughs> yeah. And, it, and just the watching the entire paradigm shift when I put together a really good elevator pitch for some of my clients mm -hmm. is, is awesome to see. Because as you said, there, you don't have to go in and go, what can I take? What can I take? What can I take? Yeah. As soon as you start saying, how can I give? How can I serve? How can I give? How can I serve? And you become the connector. Mm -hmm. That is the true power of networking. And I yes. love that you, you have the similar philosophy. It's one of the reasons why I was so excited to be on the show, because you and I are so aligned in a lot of the things that we think that I was, I, I'm telling you, I've, I've had it circled in a big smile on my face the whole time. Oh, thank you. And my listeners are going to want to know why they're speaking naked, which was a joke because earlier we said, that's not the name of the book, Shelly. When, <laughs> when did you write the book? Why did you write the book? And The Power to Speak Naked is the title of the book. <laughs> Take it away. So yes, The Power to Speak Naked came about really organically, actually. I'd been doing a lot of training seminars, mm -hmm. teaching people and, uh, and helping them get more confident taking the stage. And I just, I had such a fun time doing it that, and, that it grew. Like any time you find a thing, like, and that's, you, that's how I came to do it anyways. I, all the things that I encourage my clients to do, when you find that somebody is asking you, how do you do that thing? Mm. That's probably a thing you need to explore on uh, the ability to monetize that information. Good because point. I would find that I would give advice on how to public speak. People would come to all, hey, Tyler, I've got, you know, I, as you had said, uh, I'm, I'm giving this um, toast at a wedding or I've got this speech that I've got to give at work or, or I've got this thing. I've always got this thing. Mm -hmm. Could you help me with it? I'm like, sure, absolutely. And I, I'm happy to do it for free. And so the more I looked at this is a thing that I'm doing and people are coming to me for advice to do it right. better. That's a thing that I can actually make into a career. And it gave me a chance to sit back in my natural performance roots anyways. It gave me a chance to embrace the teacher role that I so enjoy. Um, and it just gave me that chance to, to work with people and do good. And so we would put on these workshops and I'd do these two and a half day workshops and these big five day seminars and little one hour and two hour training sessions to get people up and going. Mm -hmm. And I started saying the same things over and over and over again, because the advice is not new. Right. And, and it's not necessarily unique to me. It's just, I happen to say it in a, in a slightly different way than other people, but you know, I'm passing on knowledge that I've learned over 35 years. Yeah. And so it would become this repetition and somebody, a very smart, somebody came to me and she said, uh, you should probably put that into a book. If you want to be a really uh, good public speaker, you need a book. 
And I looked at her and I said, ah, but I just, I'm not a writer, right? That limiting belief. I'm not a writer. And she said, no, but you are a speaker. And I said, yes, yes, I am a speaker. She said, so speak your book. Mm -hmm. She said, you've got all of this training material and I know you. She said, you don't go anywhere without a camera on you. How much of this is recorded? I said, I record every event. (laughs) She said, of course you do. So why don't you transcribe it? Yes. Oh, that's an idea. So we took all of this training material that I did, transcribed all the video into audio and then the audio into uh, the obvious words. Yep. And then I was like, well, pff, I don't want to have to put this together. They're like, guess what? There are people who will do it for you. Exactly. So I got a really good editor and a really good ghostwriter and they put my words mm-hmm. into a cohesive piece that is now 10 chapters of the power to speak naked. And I absolutely love it. It's a hard read for me because every, it really is my voice. So uh, I write, I think a little bit more eloquently than I speak. <laughs> and so I, I sometimes read it and I go, Ooh, I wouldn't have typed it that way, but gotcha. how I spoke it and that, and, it, and the nice thing is, is when people are introduced to me through the book, um, they really do hear my voice. Yes. And, and that's relatable. So again. when I'm working with them, I'm able to, they are, they already have a comfort level with me if they've been introduced to me through the book. And if they've been introduced to me live and then get the book, they literally can hear my voice. And I think that's one of the things that has made it such a, and why I don't mind having it out in the world. Okay. Um, because I know a whole bunch of authors who are like, it's there. And I've known a great group of them. I, you know, I think their work is wonderful. And I wouldn't say that this is the, the greatest tome ever put to print, but I am quite proud that it is out. Good. And it's value I was happy added, to get though. it done. It's value added for you though, isn't it? For your clients, for people. And also it's a great introduction and uh, it's a great intro to your services. So that's what they always say about these types of things. I mean, if you're Nora Roberts, that's completely different <laughs> or Jim <laughs> or Patterson or whatever, but to have your skill set and put it into words, that's fantastic. Some people really enjoy that. Have you done it? Well, and, like I... and usually, and I apologize, sorry to interrupt. I almost always try and read people's books before I have them on the show. Uh, I know right now your audience is wondering how do they get my book? And I would say yep. in bulk. <laughs> Good answer. Can they order it off your website or do they have to go to Amazon? Part of the fun story of the book is I originally self-published it for that exact reason. It was just a giveaway. It was a value yeah. add. Um, and I had uh, one of the uh, uh, a head of a publishing firm actually came to see me speak one time and got a copy of it and uh, reached out to me a few weeks later and said, Tyler, this is David at Morgan James. And I was wondering if you'd be interested in publishing your book and getting it into stores. And I said, that seems like a really good idea, David, tell me more. (laughs) And so I've actually signed up with Morgan James and they're going to be releasing it properly in actual for real, for real brick and mortar bookstores starting September 7th. So if everybody- Of this coming year? Yeah, of this year. Oh, congratulations. So if can wait, uh, you know, a month or two to get it, uh, then you can actually get it in a brick and mortar store. If anybody's like, yeah, but I want it. I want it now. I absolutely have to have it now. Um, if they do go to the website, they okay. can get the digital copy. It doesn't take a lot to, to find the, the way to get the digital copy. But I would encourage everybody, not because I want the book sales, 
But is your book still a the, free giveaway on your website? It is still a free giveaway on the oh, website. I didn't even notice that today. I didn't yeah. notice no, it was a free well, download. Because I bury it. I make you I make you hunt for it a little bit. Okay. Because I, I need to. It wasn't to, obvious, some... buddy. <laughs> no, no, it's not obvious at all. But um, what I would encourage everybody to do, if they are so inclined to have an actual physical copy of the book, mm -hmm. and if they can exercise two months worth of patience, um, is to go to bookshop.org. Bookshop because Jeff Bezos has enough money and uh, bookshop.org will actually, it's an online shopping experience, but it will connect you with your local book retailer, the okay. mom and pop shop who particularly in, in this current climate are probably struggling. Yes, of course. And so I would, I would encourage everybody to go. And if you don't want to get a copy of the power to speak naked and you want to get a copy of, you know, the, whatever it tickles your fancy, by all means, do it. I'm, I'm not insulted if you don't buy my book, but please, if you're buying books, go to bookshop.org and, and order it that way because that'll connect you online to your local um, book retailer. And I happen to know that because Morgan James believes so much in that as well, mm -hmm. that when you order it through bookshop.org, you actually save a little bit of money than what you would if you go to some of the other online competitors. So okay. I, I appreciate that. I don't mind anybody saving money and I especially don't mind supporting mom and pop shops. So good. I would have to agree with you there for sure. Is there anything you could give people advice since this kind of became, you know, probably will have listeners that are interested in this particular subject matter of their own lives. They that's usually how things, these things work. When you wrote the book, would you change anything? Because I did what you did. I got an editor, I went on to Fiverr and it just spewed out and sent her the rough notes and she put the uh, High Functioning Habits book together. That's being done into a full length book right now, The Seven Pillars of High Functioning Habits. But what I noticed with the editor that I hired, she was very formal. <laughs> and That's not how I tend to talk. I speak the Queen's English because we're Canadian, but it was still more formal and a lot. Uh, she did the research, actually, in fact. So these guys, these services are out there for you. Tell you right. These services are out there and they do not cost the world. Um, you know, <laughs> exactly. They just don't. And it was shocking for me because, you know, four and a half years ago, this was all new. But now it's sort of old hat. Um, would, there, would there be anything that you would do differently this time around or really how you did it self-published like I did and using these services? Worked yeah, out well, I would probably do it the exact same way. And in fact, what I have found is that the book was incomplete, as they all are. Mm -hmm. And instead of trying to reinvent the wheel, we just have a second edition that's a revised edition that'll probably come out in 2023 that is going to address all of the other questions that people have after they read the book. Excellent. And because so many people have come and said, oh, yes, but wouldn't it be great if I could learn about this? One of the things that I'm actually adding into the book and is a, a training module in my online training course is how to do this better. The, the podcasts and particularly the Zoom meetings and, and video conferencing, yes. because this is now commonplace. Mm -hmm. And I think at the beginning, so many people were terrified of it. And now it's just kind of the norm. But a lot of people still aren't executing it well. And no, I, I think there's a lot of room for improvement when it comes to engagement, because I don't think this medium is going away. I think you're going to see more and more and more of it because I think I agree. people have found the convenience and the time savings of it. Yeah. But I do think that we have disconnected as humans and it's not because of the technology. I promise you the technology is aiding the disconnection, but it's not the cause of the disconnection. 
It's our own lack of attention span and lack of present presentation skills. And ah. since this is a presentation medium, yep. that is what's causing the disconnect. You have more engaged conversations. You have more engaged audience. And you and I are proof of that right now. Mm -hmm. I would agree. Like I actually find people when they make the comments now, now don't get me wrong. I've worked at home for years, even, and then did years in the corporate world then came back to my home office in and out. I've been for 28 years. This cats me out as far as I'm concerned. It's like, this is great, but I don't feel disconnected from people. You are sitting here larger than life on my ginormous screen. Thanks to my IT geek son in my office setup And I feel completely connected. I can see your facial expressions. I can hear your tone. To me, it's very personal. I, I love it. I'm glad it's become more normal. It used to be just when I was at Bell Canada for many years. Oh my goodness. We'd set up all this fancy equipment and it was, it was a real hassle back then in the day. And one person you were lucky in a whole department knew how to run that equipment. Is this ringing any bells for you? Oh yeah. <laughs> right. Where now it's like, I'm on Amazon camera, Yeti mic software. Away we go. You know, yes. it even softens ladies, just so you know, if you're all worried and gentlemen about how you look on Zoom, it has a feature that softens the it things, okay? Touch up my appearance, slide exactly. all the way to right. Exactly. Acne, what acne? Wrinkles, what wrinkles? <laughs> it's wonderful. So the tech, like you say, the technology is there. Uh, I just find it very personable. Yeah. Maybe I could see if people went from being around the water cooler to this and no personal one-on-one -on -one. plus the big zoom meetings when, you know, where there's a hundred people on the screen, I understand this can get a little impersonal, but I'm with you. This is not going anywhere. Every article you read with COVID people actually went, I don't want to go back to the office five days a week. Why do I need to? And they're not wrong. I, like I say, I've done it for most of my career. So they're not wrong. Tim Ferriss in the four hour work week was eons ahead of his time really right. i mean it was already a fantastic book but if you reread that now post covid lockdown mm -hmm. uh just everything that he was saying about how we can function and find time to pursue the things that we want to do yes. this is has shown it I, the pr productivity increased despite the fact that people were locked down because they were yeah. not exhausted uh, with the ridiculous commutes, mm -hmm. uh, they were able to be more focused. Now it's hard because you have distractions of family at home, but once you establish those boundaries and those rules, which everyone how... sort of had to get on page, it wasn't like the one person in the household. It was like, everybody was in the same boat. Everybody got on board and every, and the nice thing is, is as a society too. So the microcosm of your own internal family structure, mm -hmm. but society as a whole was all doing the same thing at once. Yeah. It was a massive learning curve for us all. And subsequently, we all know the rules now. The groundwork has been laid and it is not going away. I agree. It's just up to us now to be better <laughs> when we're on this device and bring that engagement back so that we can have real connection and conversations. It is possible through electronics. Excellent. And that's your next step. Yes. Excellent. Okay. What uh, do you have courses on your website and what is it like you've kind of made it quite clear what you're teaching and that sort of thing, but is there anything people can download and get a, a taste of or yeah. tell, tell so, us what's there? Tell us a little absolutely bit about no your cost. journey onto that. Yeah. For absolutely no cost. You can go. And in fact, it's my gift to everyone who's listening. And before I tell them, actually, just before I tell them, let's, okay. let's make something available for them. Shelly, I would very much like for them to hit pause right now 
and go over on whatever device that they're listening to on whatever platform they've got your podcast going on. I just want them to stop and give you a five-star review because (laughs) I know how much effort goes in on the back end of this for you to put up a good show. And so if people are here and they're listening to Kuda Shirawara, then uh, what we need to do is, and if they're getting value out of it, mm-hmm. give a little bit of value back because what you're doing as a host is incredibly difficult. So if they promise to pause right now, because I'm, you're on the device, you're listening to it right it's now. It's true, everyone right is. Now. That's right. Podcasts, 90 something percent of them are on a device, not on the computer. Yeah. So you're hitting pause right now. You're going to go, you're going to give this show a five-star review. And if you do that, you can come back and unpause and I will tell you, now that you're back and you've hit unpause, <laughs> to go to seantylerfoley.com, S-E-A-N-T-Y-L-E-R-F-O-L-E-Y.com. Mm-hmm. And on there, the very first thing you're going to see is the method. Mm-hmm. I give that away to everybody for free. That's going to get you into my funnel. That'll get you connected with me. It's an 11-page document, five insider tips that I've compiled over 35 years to make you a more confident and give you some strategies so that the next time you have a presentation that you're able to rock it, that you're able to take it with more confidence and more conviction and tell a more compelling story, give a better presentation. So that's my free gift to everybody. And if they follow along in the sequence, I, and they just follow me in general life, they will get all kinds of tips and tricks. If they're following me on social media and we connect them through all that with with getting the method. And then we have obviously some higher paid courses. So we have the Drop the Mic series. We have the Power to Speak Naked. I have the Power (laughs) of Influence uh, seminars. All of these are various levels of training from online experiences Mm -hmm. where you can have the first seven modules and just click through and see if you even like watching me stand in front of a uh, blank white wall and present to you to, you know, the full five-day experience where we do a full immersion an intimate group of 80 people where you work in pods over five days, really exploring how to be a better presenter, public speaker, and rock the stages. So if your aspirations are a TEDx stage, or if you want to be one of the big presenters, Mm -hmm. we can set you up for success to be able to do that. Oh, excellent. Well, thank you very much for all of that. That's very appreciated. And that is excellent as well. That is fantastic. When you mentioned listening to Johan's podcast, one of my interviews on the social media, social breakup, did you download his stuff for free? Absolutely. boy. Yeah. I just encourage it. It's like, why would you not when someone, people listen to me very carefully? Cause I know I tell you <laughs> when I'm podcasting, listen to me when professionals are willing to give away some of their skill set. And you know, I talk about sacred gifts a lot on this podcast and Tyler clearly has the sacred gift of teaching and um, he's, he's got this for you. So take advantage of it because shelf help isn't going to help you. You need to participate and take advantage of that to which is given. And let me tell you, like you said, last March and April and May, those were tough months on people getting onto, you know, all this Zoom stuff and everything being virtual. For me, no, not so much. I was there already with the podcast, but it was about perfecting it. I have to be careful. Like, for instance, when I speak, like, here's a, a weakness of mine. Uh, and my listeners know this about me. I have a laugh that sounds like Witch Hazel from Bugs Bunny. <laughs> so <laughs> I have to be careful in, on, in it, looking at me as one thing. That's fine in public. I can't do it on the podcast. It comes across incredibly harsh and has to be all edited out. So I've learned 
you know, through practice. And I'm assuming that you put people through a lot of um, exercises, just like, oh, yes. faster, like you're, you've got to do this. I want to see you do it. You must present, you must talk, you must, whatever your point of view is. I think debating should be back in school personally. So uh, one of the reasons <laughs> we selected the school that my daughter is going to for mm -hmm. grade one is because they not only have a debate team, <gasps> but they also have a public speaking uh, contest. Uh, oh. I grew up in rural Alberta. I used to do speech competitions with 4-H. That is where I started to learn to hone the craft. And so for, and I agree with you, I think, and the thing is, is debate too is uh, a lost art form because now we've uh, confused opinion. Fact. Yes. And I think when you create reasoned arguments, and I think that that term reasoned argument mm -hmm. has been lost from social discourse lately, it has. that you can present fact and opinion together, but you need to recognize how much of it is fact and how much of it is opinion. Yeah and how much of that is instruction for an argument. And that argument doesn't mean that you are wrong and that I am right, mm -hmm. that we can both be right. I remember in grade 12 um, being part of a debate uh, club and my senior thesis that year, the final senior thesis for everybody was to do a 15 minute debate broken into uh, three minute chunks with uh, for and against. Okay. And your topic was randomly selected. And the topic that I, me and my partner were given was, was the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki justified? And Ooh. we drew the affirmative. <laughs> so I had to defend the standpoint that it was justified. Right. And the other sides thought it was a, a walk for them. They were like, ha, 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 how do you justify nuclear war? You can't justify right. nuclear war. They did absolutely no research. And what I did was I scoured through everything that I could find about the Pacific War. And as part of the opening debate, and again, you want to talk power of story. Mm -hmm. I read a journal entry from a man who had, um, was describing hearing airplanes fly overhead mm. and then all of a sudden this big flash of white and then feeling this intense heat burn over him and looking over and seeing his wife huddled next to his daughter and then watching their skin melt and it's the most horrific description you'll ever hear but here's the thing everybody assumed I was talking about the bombing the nuclear bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki I wasn't I was explaining incendiary bombing on uh, Yashima. Oh. And as soon as they realize that, that it doesn't matter what the device is, no. there is no humane way to wage war. No. That is not what's at debate here. What is at debate is whether the use of nuclear arms was justified. Four days afterwards, Japan surrendered. Mm -hmm. And the war ended. But for five years of incendiary bombing or three years of incendiary bombing, they weren't. So was it justified? It stopped the war. Yeah. What was the end goal? Exactly. And as soon as I pieced that together, was the use of nuclear bombs right? I don't know. That's not my, it's not our but goal. it's when, again, right. Change the viewpoint and yeah. understand the argument, come up with reasoned argument. I'm not right or wrong. I'm just giving you facts. And I think that's where the world needs to kind of come together and, and let's tell the stories. COVID's really shone a light on that fact that people have forgotten how to disagree and not hate each other at the same time. Yes. It's like, no, I can think you're completely wrong, but that's completely irrelevant 
really in the big picture of things. And that's why I find debating is so important because you do have to argue both sides of the um, argument. So you've taken that walk in someone else's shoes right out of the gate. Just there it is. What have you done in your life, do you think? Uh, it seems a pretty clear, uh, clear line to me, but it may not be in your shoes that you have done so that you don't feel like you're living in regret. Uh, well, I got a very quick lesson uh, early on about mm -hmm. the how finite life can be. When my father passed, um, I was only six years old. I forget that day. Um, that evening, my mom had put dinner out and I had gone off and she was cleaning up and I was in another room. And I'll never forget for the, my, the rest of my life, the guttural sound that my mother made when the RCMP officer and my family doctor came to the door to tell her that she was never going to see her husband again. Oh. And it was, it was a sound that it haunts me to this day. Um, my wife and I were actually watching a movie um, uh, two nights ago about the uh, forest fire fighters um, that passed away in Oregon. Mm -hmm. And Jennifer Conley, who I absolutely love, is one of the greatest actresses on the planet, comes out of her shack, um, uh, the farmhouse that they have, and she screams. And I, I triggered PTSD for me. Mm. Like I had to, I actually had to walk yeah. away because it reminded me so much of the sound that my mom made. And knowing that my time on earth is not guaranteed means that I have to make the most out of every day and yeah. every opportunity that comes my way. And I learned that at six. That's mm. a hard lesson to have to that learn. Is. But look at how it has served me. I mean, I have had, I've lived the life of probably 20 individuals from, from that point on. Mm -hmm. I've been in stage, theater, film. I've been in aviation. I've run my own companies. I've seen companies collapse. I've found my passion. I've found a calling. I've gone to school. I've, I've, I've support, I, I'm able to send my daughter to a school that has a debate club and be able to say, no, that's the one that we're going to. Like right. my life is, is blessed because I find the grace in everything because I look for the lesson mm -hmm. in what I'm having to learn. And I recognize that I may not wake up tomorrow, right? That it all could be gone. And if it's gone, what is the legacy that I'm leaving? And it's up to me to make sure that if I'm extinguished, as soon as we hang up this call, that my legacy is that of light and of joy, and that I have left an impact that I can be proud of. And if you lead yourself every day knowing, what can I do to make the world better? Yeah. And it doesn't have to be the whole world. It doesn't have to be the whole globe. No. How can I make my household better? Yeah. I start here. I start with me. How do I make me better? Yeah. If I'm a better father and a better husband, now my household is better. Of course. If my household is better, then I have raised the stature of my neighborhood. I have a better neighborhood. I have a better community. Now I have a better city. Yeah. It doesn't take a lot. I agree. I completely agree. If I agree. work on me, that's all there is. And if I can make sure that I'm, if I was to be gone tomorrow, I'd be proud of the legacy. I know that my eulogy would be a fantastic one. See, I attract the best people on this show. You had a run in yourself as well, though, at 17, didn't you? Tell us about what happened with yep. your stroke. That is a flipping young age to have anything like that happen to you. 
Well, and, and that's and in this particular things- instance, I'm looking at your mom going, your poor mother, because <laughs> now it's your tragedy, but she, husband, son, I mean, that's, that's a lot. But tell I was us, actually tell us talking about that on, yeah, on another show, I, I had actually said that very thing. I think one of the reasons why um, I, I received a whole bunch of support after it. So I don't know that it was a stroke. I had a medical incident for sure at 17, New Year's Day, 1997. Um, I woke up and the left side of my body didn't, we've done, so, I was, I was prodded, tested, MRI'd. I have a wicked cool scan of my brain, but <laughs> I, I keep, I keep that, that copy because it's just, just like so avatar. Cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just so much fun to have, to be like, look, the inside of my brain, I actually right. do have one. It's proof it's there. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, to this day, it could have been a stroke. It could have been a palsy. It could have been um, some kind of paralysis. All we mm-hmm. know is that I woke up New Year's Day and the left side of my body didn't work. And um, it was, it was a, a hard thing to go through. And exactly that, my poor mom, right? Like think at 17, right? I was in my last uh, two quarters or last semester of, of school and at that point, she could see the light at the end of the tunnel, right? right? Especially because I went to a fine arts high school. So I had been uh, billeting for two years and mm. staying away. So I only came home during the summer. So mom was starting to get the taste of what the freedom of having finally raised <laughs> this child to maturity was going to be. And then I all of a sudden, I'm feeling. <laughs> and now, is my mom going to have to be a caregiver for me? Like, will right. I be able to continue functioning? And for me, it was it was... Uh, horrific too, because my whole career up to that point, 11 years had been geared towards becoming a professional actor and going to New York or Hollywood and seeing my name in lights. Okay. And now all of a sudden (laughs) you're not an actor. If your leg doesn't work and your face Mm -hmm. doesn't match, right. They, it was just, it was truly, truly devastating for a while, but luckily for me, because again, when my father passed away, I had a community rally around me. I had incredible men step up and fill that mentorship role, mm-hmm. that guidance role. And they didn't replace my father in any way. Nobody could, but they definitely fill that gap of needing yes. some masculine guidance. Mm-hmm. And one of the great mentors that I had in my life, Robert Corbett, stepped up and Bob was a doctor of chiropractic. His wife is a doctor of chiropractic. His daughter grew up and became a doctor of chiropractic <laughs> and is one of my best friends and was at my wedding. Um, the only black sheep of that family is their son, Jason, who is just a doctor of law, <laughs> silly PhD instead of a DOC. And, uh, but I, he came in and not only helped me physically mm-hmm. with the chiropractic work and finding me specialists. So I had laser acupuncture, traditional acupuncture, cupping, um, and, uh, and then regular physiotherapy and medications, holistic and Western, uh, all kinds of different things were pumped through and around my body just to try and get feedback. And it worked. That's the great uh. thing. It worked. But um, he, I think one of the reasons it worked so well is because he didn't just treat the physical symptoms. Uh, okay. He really took time to deal with the mental side of it and my mm-hmm. emotional well-being, and uh, took a introduced me to self-help. He bought me my first ticket to uh, Dr. John Demartini and the breakthrough experience. Okay. There I was like, Oh yeah. And now there's this whole other world. And so I would go and see, uh, you know, Tony Robbins and Darren Hardy and Dean Graziosi and, and uh, Les Brown. And what's really cool 
is now I get to actually interact with these human beings. I get to every once in a while be backstage with Tony because I get to work some of his events. Now I don't get to act, you know, I get my picture with him in 10 seconds. I don't get to have the conversations with him, but I get to see the man and I get to see the man up close. I have actually worked with Les Brown on stage. Les Brown, for anybody who doesn't know, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant motivational speaker and incredible oratory. (laughs) And uh, he has been living with cancer for quite some time a very extended period of time and sometimes he doesn't feel good and i was actually asked to go down my um agent and really good friend gail kingsbury uh had him at an event in bend and he couldn't he couldn't finish the one day so she asked if i would go in and 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 step in and help out i mean you can never fill in for Les brown (laughs) but you can show up and do the best tap dance that you possibly can and, and, and you just and, say yes. And you just <laughs> and say figure yes. Figure it out later. Exactly yeah. I so, and I wouldn't have gotten to that if it weren't for, honestly, if it weren't for the stroke, I wouldn't have been introduced to all this stuff. So another catalyst. So, yeah, I, you needed to, I needed to find the grace. And I would encourage all of your listeners to do the same thing. You know, Tony Robbins says it better than anyone else. Life happens for you, not to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't have to find the positive. That's the other thing. I think that's a, a false narrative that we have introduced into society where you, you got to look for the positive. Well, is it a positive? Right. Like it I got to tell you, yucky, but it's still having my face not work for a year was not a positive. <laughs> having no. my father pass away at six years old was not a positive. No, but there was grace in it. There was divinity yes. in what happened. And if I can look for the lessons and if I can see why having that stroke gave me the hunger again, Les Brown talks about it. You gotta be hungry. I was complacent at 17 because I'd been acting for 11 years and I was the, I was the big dog. I was the big fish in a very little pond mm-hmm. and I had stopped caring. But as soon as that got taken away, man, did I have a hunger? And if it weren't for that, I would have probably wouldn't have gone out to Vancouver and mm. I wouldn't have pursued it as, as viciously and as uh, right. uh, vivaciously as I did. And, you know, so all of these things, there's grace in everything that we do. And I think that's how I got over it. And th- again, thankfully I had an incredible team that go- guided me through that and a big shout out to Bob Corbett, who to this day is still an incredible man and, and mentor and role model in my life. And, and I owe a lot of who I am to his tutelage and guidance. Oh, that's very gracious of you. Um, I, you are actually, I would say you're probably in my top 10 of people that I've ever heard give so much gratitude and acknowledgement to those that help. Lots of times we take it very for granted. Um, and I think a lot of it is just unawareness. Uh, it's not even I that, think that too. Yeah, I, I, don't I don't think, think it's always it malice. Granted. I think it's we just, just don't recognize. Exactly. It doesn't have to come from a bad place. It's just, we're just unaware. Uh, and that awareness, I talk about it so much on this show, is, is for everyone's benefit, but really for your own. Because you, when you can edify someone else, again, it takes the focus off you, but your growth is there through all of it, through every single moment of that. If you had one thing to tell people that, um, let's keep it to your, your particular line of work now. If someone wanted to do what you and I do or wanted to be better at whatever, what would be your one sage piece of advice? Because I, you know, we've covered so many things. We're definitely cohesive uh, in our opinions about how these events are catalysts for us. And they change our way of thinking, like you say, at six. And then, you know, when I look at my life and say, why did I only get into this in my 50s? Because I wasn't ready. I was having all these experiences. This wisdom had to come from somewhere. And it didn't come from having an easy life. (laughs) That's that's just the deal. Like you say, it doesn't always have to be positive, but the lesson is always there. So what is your 
closing piece of advice for people, whether it's advice or mentorship or just a virtual, you can do it. What would it be? What would you like to encourage people with? The first is that your story matters. And most people say, but I don't have a story. And I would say that you mm. do. And I spend a great deal of time in my workshops showing people just where they do have stories and where they, their story matters. And tied to that is my second piece of advice. And that is the thing that you're afraid to say is very likely the thing that the world needs to hear. If you're willing to get open and vulnerable mm -hmm. and expose that truth to the world, you will find healing in it. You will find your community in it. You will find support in it. And better, you have the ability to use that story and that thing that you're coveting and afraid to say, you can use that to help make the world a better place. So your story matters. I agree. And the thing you're afraid to say is probably the thing that the world needs to hear. Oh, that's fantastic advice, Tyler. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being with us here today. It was an absolute pleasure. I know my listeners, probably this is the podcast you might want to listen to a couple of times, guys, especially those of you that are looking to get into this area or to looking to improve something about this area in your own life, whether it's through work or your personal life or a dream. Keep dreaming and I'll catch you on the flip side. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda. Stay connected with us directly through livingwellwithshell.com and Instagram at livingwellwithshell. If you would like to speak with us, please send us an email through shelly at livingwellwithshell.com. And as always, thank you for pushing your mindset towards a better reality. This concludes the most thought-provoking portion of your day. Thank you. And remember, willpower will only get you so far if you don't have a plan. <laughs>